my days. Welcome back to Tom's Takes. This is me, Tom Patterson, and this is episode 11. Wow. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, hopefully you're well. Uh, whatever time it is for you, wherever you are right now, I hope you're having a great day. Um, it's been a while. It's been it's been a little while. Sorry if you've been missing me. Um, I've been missing doing the podcast. It's been around, I think, a week or just over a week since the last episode. So a little bit of time. It's just been, I don't know, kind of crazy busy and with teaching last week, again, being, <laughs> being a bit of a yes man, covering with everything, having to save the day a little bit um, with a lot of people still recovering from COVID or being last minute sick or just other things coming up or then just had a few other big days and I don't know, other sort of errands that pop up or other things on my mind lately. (laughs) So it's been, uh, yeah, that's why it's been a while. And I was just thinking that's like, I don't know, I could have, I don't know, sort of rushed an episode or try to force one, but then it might not have been the best, uh, I don't know. Yeah, the best type of episode or, I don't know, something I look back on and aren't as proud of as much and, I don't know, I just was thinking better to wait, better for things to just settle down, feel in a good place again and relax into it and try not to force it out there and, I don't know, it's Wednesday. I think I'll try and do two episodes each week and then, like, Wednesday and Sunday, those are those are good days for me, so we'll see. I don't know, it's been a, yeah, like I said, it's just been busy this week and, I don't know, since like the, the year started out really well for me and it's still, it's still gone well, but um, January, February was in like a really good rhythm with like, I don't know, doing physical activity and taking care of myself, like I don't know, eating well and being hydrated and I don't know, what else, like, um, like making sure all my spaces are clean and I don't know, doing, doing everything that I'm committed, committed to and then then COVID happened in March and was out for a little bit with COVID and I don't know, maybe tried to rush back into things too fast after COVID and tried to keep working online during COVID and then ended up sort of like overdoing it, getting a sort of secondary, I don't know, the, like a secondary uh, flu or cold, like a super rhinovirus sort of thing that's been going around lately. Um, so like straight after I got COVID, like had a three or four days where I felt good and then, then got sick again. And that had lingered on for a while, like end of March, April sort of thing. And then, um, it's been really nice. Like we've been helping out like with the house sitting and stuff, but went straight into that afterwards and, um, with the dog sort of thing, like a Crimea river already. <laughs> but then, um, I know I get allergic to dogs, um, that aren't that like the wolf dogs that shed fur or shed hair um, sort of everywhere, like my nose and throat, it's like super sensitive to that. So then it's like, I don't know, sneezing all the time still, like you just get over the cold or like you feel, I feel like I'm just getting over the cold and then I'm like, <laughs> have that sort of hay fever symptoms for another month or so while we're house sitting and take hay fever tablets every day sort of thing. And then now sort of settling back into where we usually live. Um, uh, yeah. And then it's like just been crazy covering and stuff. So I think Lots, been, lots has been going on. I'm enjoying a lot of it, but I think this is the first time now that's like, okay, just take some time, real settle down into everything and take it easy and just, I don't know, get back into the rhythm of how I want to go to the gym and do my push-pull legs sort of split and then, I don't know, make sure I'm taking care of my body, putting good good uh, f- fuel into it and drinking lots of water and 
you know, keeping my space spaces tidy, trying to be organized and be on top of stuff. So that flows on to help everything else. So I think I'm just, yeah, I was like, let's take a few more days and get back into that rhythm and yeah, take it easy. Try not to do too much and it'll be better in the long run. So I appreciate your patience. I appreciate you waiting. <laughs> it was hard for me to resist uh, doing the episode with lots of things coming out too. And then I was like, oh, you know, the Warriors made it through the final and the Champions League happened and the Premier League uh, finale sort of thing. And then Miami Heat in Boston, so many things were happening. So I was like, oh, I could do almost like an episode thing for each. And I was like, no, just wait until where we are now. And I can sort of recap it all a little bit. Um, so that was hard to do, but it's good to be patient and we're here now. So that's okay. But, um, yeah, just, just settling back into the rhythm. I'm, I'm getting into the groove of stuff again and, uh, you know, taking some deep breaths and the semester is sort of winding down now. Uh, we're going to have like the second lot of prac exams, which will be so intriguing, very intrigued about, <laughs> I think, like I said before, it's like I mentioned that it's, we're going to do that. Uh, like the tens machine and do some like uh, hands-on um, you know moving people's joints around like as a treatment like the hands-on sort of kind of like massage but like a little bit more intense and then some some exercise sort of stuff so yeah yeah just keen to see how creative the students get and yeah it will be that would be interesting and fun so and positive that the semester's winding down that will help me get back into my rhythm a little bit and Anyway, I'm going to try Wednesdays and Sundays and and then if something crazy happens and I need to sort of uh, get an episode out, like something crazy in the sport world, um, there'll be exceptions. But I think from now on, Wednesday, Sunday should work pretty well. Uh, So it's Wednesday today. It's Wednesday today for me. I'm feeling good. (laughs) I'm taking it chill. I'm back in my rhythm. Uh, So let's do this. So before we get into the sports sort of section, it is a sports podcast, but a few things have happened in the last week or two that I think, uh, I don't know, that might just chat through. Um, Pav with Netball, like she, two weeks ago, her team won their first game, like I think it was the fourth game or fifth game. So they're one out of four or one out of five. And then just this week that passed, like a few few days ago on the weekend, uh, they lost a close game again. But um Good. Uh, congrats to them for winning a game. And um, I don't know every week it's been cool to see the team get better, and especially Pav play um, even better and better. Um, especially when she's been playing out of position, like she's playing wing defense a lot for this team, and that's kind of kind of because like a lot of the other girls have their sort of preferred position, and then Pav. Um, you know, the superstar that she is can kind of just like, uh, you know, jack of all trades, go anywhere. Uh, basically, she'll tell you that's like, I can play anywhere apart from goal shooter, basically. Um, so she's really, really good in defense. So, and I think her preferred position would be goal defense. So I don't know, a little bit like frustrating for her to like play out of position each week, but she's, um, she's been doing her homework. She's like out there watching YouTube videos about how to, defend better in the, in, uh, as a wing defense. And, um, it's, it's showing, it's been really, really impressive and she's sort of trying her best each week and, um, yeah, such a team player. So yeah, shout out to her and the netball team, especially for getting the the first win. Uh, hopefully they can have some more wins in the next few weeks. We've also done a bit of babysitting recently, like throughout this year. 
And yeah, I really enjoy that sort of thing. I'm always up to do it. And I, I just always like during, like while it's happening and then especially afterwards sort of like reflect about like, oh, how did I think that went? And like, what was I like? And it always makes me think like, oh, like eventually when I'm a parent down the road, like, you know, is it going to be different? Like, oh, like, is it the same sort of thing? Will I be the same? And I don't know, because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm too, I'm too easy. I'm too nice and a bit of a pushover. Like I can't lay down the law, but I don't know. It's, it's hard. <laughs> and I always just want to like have fun with them and I don't know, play nice and uh, be creative and do, do all the things. And I don't know, it takes a lot for me to be, to be like, Hey, come on, like it's time for bed or Hey, you can't do that sort of thing. I always like very patient and try to like, um, I don't know, always do things in a very <laughs> calm and I don't know, don't really raise my voice a lot. So it takes a lot for me to get into that sort of state, <laughs> um, which I think like, Oh, should I be like that? Shouldn't I? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard. And it's like, Oh, will I be different if it's like, if it's my own kid or was this like, Oh, cause it's someone else's kid. It feels weird to like kind of pull out the discipline card or sort of, or like lay down the law sort of thing. Um, but anyway, I've like enjoyed myself every time we babysit and all the kids that we've done it for are really cool and really great and had a lot of fun with. Um, so yeah, it makes me look forward to doing more of that and eventually being like a parent down the way. Like that's something I look forward to a lot. And I think just, you know, that's always on my mind is just like try to be consistent, try to just uh, be fun, be happy, be positive, be nice, be kind, be caring um, you know, I think too, it's like, don't, don't treat them too much like a kid. And that doesn't mean don't be like harsh on them, but like, don't treat them like, you know, just treat them like a real person, treat, treat them like not that they're subhuman or less than you just cause they're a kid. Like just, you know, be normal, treat them like, uh, you know, treat them like an adult, but in a fun way, like ask them their ideas, ask them like what's fun for them, what they want to do. Um, try to let them lead you a lot of, um, a lot of the time. So that's important to me. And that's always going to be the same about, you know, just being consistent, being there, being present, always, um, trying to let them lead you without it going too out of control and just being too laissez-faire and letting them do everything, <laughs> no matter what, um, there's like a balance and boundaries with everything, but, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's just been fun. And it makes me think, oh, am I too much of a pushover or am I doing it right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. The more, like with everything, right? The more practice at stuff, the better you get and the more that's sort of revealed to you. So I don't know. Let me know when, <laughs> when you, when you guys look after kids or around kids, I don't know. Do you feel like too much of a pushover or do you feel too strict or just right? Like the Goldilocks sort of thing or, I don't know, because that's something that I think about a lot and, I don't know, just try to be, I don't know, like with everything, just try to be the best version of myself and give them a lot of leeway because a lot of things they're doing for the first time and they they don't know how to do properly or they're not trying to push your buttons intentionally sort of thing or, I don't know, it's hard too when it's like, like I said before, it's not your, it's not your kids, right? Like they've grown up in certain patterns or parenting styles that then you're just coming into with for the afternoon. So it's like, yeah, not that it needs changing, but it's just like, just always like interesting observations sort of thing. And 
um, just how you work around that and, and work with it sort of thing. So yeah, anyway, that's, <laughs> that's probably too much on that. Um, but yeah, let me know if you, <laughs> when you're around kids, do you feel like a pushover or do you feel too strict or somewhere in the middle? Um, striking that balance is always hard. In exciting news as well is that Pav, myself and two of Pav's and my good friends like Josh and Maddie and their one-year-old uh, kid Ezra, uh, we're going to all uh, go to Queensland in about three or four weeks. And that's like the first sort of big holiday since COVID started for, for Pav and I. Um, we haven't left the state since then, so it's been a long time. <laughs> um, very exciting. We're going to go to the Gold Coast and, um, you know, do a little bit of the theme parks, do, I think, Movie World and maybe Dream World or, like, you know, 100% uh, Movie World, Warner Brothers Movie World's locked in. I think we'll do one of the other parks, um, which will be really exciting and, I don't know, like I'm sure there'll be enough rides for a one-year-old, but I think just them being there and, you know, experiencing the environment and the people and, you know, characters walking around and getting some photos and some cool food and some little kiddie rides will be very fun for Ezra as a one-year-old. And then, I don't know, I've never been to the theme parks up there in the Gold Coast, so I'm, I'm super excited. Um, about three or four years ago, I did a, a placement in my physio degree um, in a place called Mwilambar. And that's like only like an hour or so from the Gold Coast, but it's like right up the top of New South Wales, but a bit inland, a um, bit west. So in the middle of nowhere, a very regional place. And every week we're like, oh, let's go to the Gold Coast and we'll do the theme parks. But I don't know, when you're, when you're up there doing placement, doing your hours as a physio, like before you come out and graduate, I don't know, things are always like a little bit busy. And we did have time. We went down to Byron Bay a lot and we went... Um, I don't know, we went down to the beach a lot, uh, just didn't end up going to the Gold Coast. So I'm glad that will, that will uh, happen. But my main point is that excited to go to Queensland, but anyone that's been Queensland, like in that Gold Coast area, and you've got recommendations for me, I love sort of uh, being that type A personality and planning out the trip a little bit. Not like to the T, but just having lots of options of like, activities or food places or ice cream places or beaches to go to or places to stay or whatever um yeah hit me up with what where you've been before and what you've done um i've been to like top golf i think was there and i love yeah top golf is very very fun if you haven't done that before it's like a driving range so a golf driving range but there's little it's kind of like electronic out there on the sort of field sort of thing. So like they have these holes and you whack your ball from like the starting position and you're trying to, you know, obviously get it as close as you can into the hole, but then wherever it bounces, you get points sort of thing. And rather than just sort of whacking it and seeing how far you can go, you can obviously still do that, but then you can try to see like how accurate you, you are and, and verse your friends about like, okay, you know, you take five shots, I'll take five shots or 10, 20 and see who can get the most points based off, uh, you know, how close it gets to the hole. So that's really fun. Um, yeah, definitely we'll do top golf. Uh, there's a place, I don't know if many people have gone, but I, I heard about it online that was like uh, tropical fruit world farm sort of tour. And that sounded really cool. Like you go out to this um, 
farm where they grow lots of fruits, like all these different exotic fruits as well. And you get like to taste test them, go around in a tractor. Um, they show you around this whole farm, how they grow things, different animals that live there. That sounded really, really cool. So I think we'll do that. Um, if anyone's been there, tell me if it's, if it's good or if it's trash, like, Oh Tom, it's, it's a scam. Don't go out there. It's not as good as it sounds. Um, but I think we'll do that. I've, I read online too. There's other like farms or bed and breakfasts where you can go and have a picnic or have breakfast or have lunch and hire like a llama or hire a koala. That's just like chilling there with you with the farmer person. And, um, you can sort of feed it and eat together and, take it take it on a stroll or have a bit of time with a you know have a just a casual picnic with a llama have a, a casual picnic with a koala just chilling with you on the blanket <laughs> so i don't know about that i feel like uh maybe that would freak ezra out a little one-year-old but um i feel like it would freak me out so <laughs> um i was trying to remember it's like is llamas the ones that spit on you or is it the alpacas that spit on you I remember we, we, for a year 11 camp, a year 11 retreat, we went to this place far out. Where was it? Um, not Mittagong, Karajong, Karajong. Mittagong was year 12, Karajong. And the place that like the rec center or camp place was right on a farm. And they had all these, all right, I can't remember, alpacas or llamas, but they would, tr- they would spit on us and they would line us up from 10, 20 meters away and be like... <laughs> uh, sorry about that sound, but you know what I mean. They're like winding up in their mouth the, the saliva and then launching launching spitballs at us. Um, yeah, that was fun. It was uh, that was a scary time too. We we learned very quickly not to get too close to them. Uh, anyway, so there's that type of thing for Queensland as well. <laughs> um, yeah, had a look at like different beaches and stuff. It will be it will be June in like three weeks, so I guess not the it's not summertime or anything. But um, I've heard the water doesn't get too cold. Hopefully up there, so could be good to just dip the toes in. But um, anyway, apart from that, we're gonna have to do, we're definitely gonna do some theme parks, top golf, probably tropical fruit world. Uh, I'll tell you how that all is. But um, yeah, let me know if there's anything else like must must see or must do. Um, yeah, happy to hear. Okay, so first up, let's move to the sporting world now. <laughs> so first up, so many people in my DMs have been like, the bet, Tom, oh no, Liverpool, the bet, it all it all went wrong. I should have I should have taken the cash out, should have uh, taken the, the guaranteed 20 grand. <laughs> um, and I was saying, oh, you know, the, the Premier League's locked in for Liverpool, it's just the Champions League, and then, you know, lo and behold, the, the podcasting curse returns, the podcasting jinx returns, and Liverpool lose the league in extraordinary fashion. Um, I don't know, very entertaining that, um, you know, but it came down between Liverpool and Manchester City, um, you know, Manchester City being one point ahead in the final uh, day and they both play one game. And then uh, Liverpool is playing Wolverhampton and Man City is playing Aston Villa and both games are happening at the same time. So... Very cool, similar to I think back like seven, eight years ago, where it was like Manchester United versus Manchester City. It came down to those two teams, and similar, they're both playing their separate games, and it, you know, the results of both those games is going to decide the season. So it's a little bit less, you know, like well, it's a little bit less uh, 
of a climactic finish when the Premier League gets decided with like, you know, a month to go or a few games to go. Like, it's great for the team that wins it. Like, it shows how dominant they are. Like, often in the past, Manchester City, like, you know, the, this Premier League finishes at the end of May, but they're, you know, lifting up the trophy in, you know, mid-April. They've been that dominant sort of thing. So, I don't know. You love those seasons where it does come down to the final game, but then, oh, so unlucky for Liverpool, I guess. Like, uh, Manchester City went down uh, early to, <laughs> um, to Aston Villa, and then they went down again. They were down 2-0, and a former Liverpool player, Philip Coutinho, gets the second goal, and it's like, oh, damn. Like, Manchester City are down 2-0. It's like the 70th minute. They've only got 20 minutes to... They need to win this game because at the same time that that's happening, Liverpool have a big lead against Wolverhampton. They're up like 3-1 or something. And, you know, at the Liverpool game, everyone's got their, their phone out and they're not even watching what's happening in front of them. They're watching the Manchester City game on their phone. Like, I don't know. That's another cool thing about sports these days is that, um, you know, with globalization and how good technology is that you can just, uh, you know, know what's happening in the sporting world and, you know, just the world in general, you know, with just a touch of the button and can watch that sort of, you know, watching two games at once, you know, can be somewhere watching something and know exactly what's happening somewhere else. Um, yeah, very, very cool. And the Liverpool fans are watching like, oh, Manchester City's down, we're up, like we're going to win the league. How good is this? And then um, Man City starts coming back. They they get a goal and it's 2-1. And then just like a couple minutes later, then Goodwin comes on and gets the second goal. Um, did he get the second goal? Maybe not the second, but they equalize uh, in, the, in the space of like five minutes. And then the Liverpool fans at their stadium are like a big hush, a big silence comes over the fans. They're like, oh no, surely not. Um, please just, you know, Aston Villa, come on, hold on for the draw. Stop Man City. Don't let in another one. And then um, with like five minutes to go, Gundogan for Man City gets the third, the winning goal, and it's 3-2. And then it didn't matter what, you know, Liverpool couldn't do anything. Like they could have scored a hundred goals against Wolverhampton and it still wouldn't have changed the result. Like, because they were one point behind Man City. And if they both win the game, they both get three points. So uh, unfortunately, that's how it ended for Liverpool. Like Liverpool won the game. They did what they could, but they just didn't, you know, pay the ref enough money to, or pay Aston Villa enough money. <laughs> no, they just, uh, you know, just Aston Villa didn't help them out uh, themselves. Um, I don't know. Man, they both had an easy game, right? They both expected to win that game. I think, you know, I wouldn't look back and go like, oh, you know, Aston Villa or lost us the league. Like you would look back on lots of other games where you, you drew or you lost to a team throughout the season. It's like those type of games that that really hurt us, you know having a draw against Burnley or against Norwich, like some of those bottom teams where you miss out on getting all three points where, you know, Man City versus them and maybe beat them, but you guys only got a draw or you lost to them. Those are the games where you look back and they sort of keep you up at night rather than this final game of the season. Like you did all you can. So yeah. Anyway, they lost, they lost our, our guy who made that bet a lot of money straight away just then because <laughs> that was before the Champions League final. But then I thought, 
I was thinking going into the Champions League final with Liverpool and Real Madrid, like, okay, now Liverpool have lost the league. Surely they're going to come out like super hungry, super determined, you know, give this game everything and sort of want to use it as like a revenge game in both of the senses, like for the Premier League. But then also don't, don't forget that Liverpool and Real Madrid, we had this matchup only like uh, three years ago in the Champions League final where extraordinary game, like extraordinary uh, goalkeeping errors by um, Loris Carius, uh, I think. Uh, that was the goalkeeper at the time, and, and he did the famous, you know, made an easy save, and then Benzema is sort of hanging around, lurking around in front of him, um, and then he goes to throw it out, roll it out to his defender. Benzema sticks out his leg and ricochets off his leg into the goals. And then later on in the game... You know, Gareth Wales, Gareth Bale, <laughs> uh, call him Gareth Wales because he's like, he's, he's Welsh, he's nationality, and he's basically like the only good Welsh player in the world, on the team in the world. Uh, so he like, he carries the team. <laughs> so I always call him Gareth Wales because um, anytime Wales do good, it's because of him. Um, but anyway, Gareth Bale <laughs> does like a long distance shot from like 40 meters away in the second half as well. And goes, you know, it's swerving around a little bit, but then Carius makes a meal of it, like sticking his arms everywhere and basically um, raises his arms up, but with a massive circle between his head and his arms and the ball just goes like straight in between it. Um, Yeah, anyway. So that cost them in that game. So I think ever since then, Liverpool's like, damn, we lost that Champions League final. And that was before they won it the year after to against Tottenham. So... They still, you know, that one stings in their memory. They've, they've lost a lot of sleep over that Champions League final as well. So they wanted to, yeah, like, like I was thinking before the end, you know, they wanted to avenge the Premier League loss and still come away with a triple, you know, winning three trophies that year. And especially because it's against Real Madrid, right? Like you beat us before in a, in a stupid fashion, in a way that we shouldn't have conceded a lot of those goals. Uh, let's show us we can we can beat you. We're, we're good enough. So Liverpool came out super determined in that Champions League final and they had, you know, the better running of things. Like, uh, they had more shots on target. And basically this this game came down to, um, you know, Courtois in goal for Real Madrid, the uh, Belgian keeper. He was just like, I'm not going to be beaten today. He, he must have, like, swapped gloves or you know, sent Manuel Neuer an email or a phone call and said, give me, give me your jersey, give me your gloves. I need to play like you today if we're going to win this. Uh, because he was stopping everything. He was like a Spider-Man in goals, just jumping from side to side, up and down, um, you know, blocking all these insane shots by Salah and Mane. Um, yeah, Liverpool was like testing him all throughout and they had the better going of things. They had more shots on target, more possession, but they just couldn't beat Courtois and he was keeping them in the game. And they were shots like, not, oh, you know, that's an easy save or you, you expect him to save that. It's like, damn, the opposite. We don't expect our keeper to save that. If that goes in, that's on us. We should have defended better or we need to get out and put more pressure on the shot. You know, how can we... Uh, let our goalkeeper down like that or that's top corner no one saves that but apparently Courtois saves those <laughs> so yeah he did an incredible effort and yeah he came out with something to prove because you know he's been at Real Madrid for a little while now 
and but he wasn't you know the goalkeeper for a lot of those you know like a few years ago Real Madrid like when was it 2016 17 18 I think that they won the Champions League three years in a row and he was on that roster but he was not the main keeper it was like Kalor Navas and then even before then it was like Iker Casillas so Real Madrid have had some like clutch keepers and you know won a lot of trophies but he hasn't you know felt like I think that his name has been on that trophy and deserving of yeah the winner's medal in the past so I think he came out with a lot to prove today to go um you know I want to carry the team to victory and I think you know coming from a team like Chelsea before where like recently they've won the Champions League too that's like oh you could have stayed with Chelsea and still had a lot of success and maybe won the Champions League with them because, you know, they won the Champions League without you. So it looks bad if you move away wanting more money and thinking you're a a bigger and better player than the club um, you're moving away from to a different club and then you don't have success but they have success. That would sort of eat at you a little bit. So just like Liverpool came out determined after losing the Champions League final a few years ago and losing the Premier League, Courtois came out um, determined as well. I think like the rest of the Real Madrid players too because they haven't won the Champions League since, oh, just like a little guy, Cristiano Ronaldo, if you know him, uh, since he's been on the roster. So they, they're they wanting to reclaim the, the crown and, and prove that, you know, why they've won the, the Champions League the most times. I think they've won it 13 or 14 times in its history. So, yeah, they really are the kings of Europe and they had something to prove too, that they can win this competition without Ronaldo and... Um, yeah, they showed that. Courtois basically was like, nope, I'm not letting anything through today. I'm just going to be a brick wall. And then, um, you know, Vinicius Jr. gets gets the goal that, that lifts them to the trophy. A bit of a controversial thing happened in this game, though. Like, in the first half, Real Madrid was able to find the back of the net first. And it was in a sort of scuffed fashion, like, in in the Liverpool penalty area, like, in their defensive zone a Real Madrid player like shoots the ball and then it ricochets off Fabinho, a Liverpool player. And Benzema is like standing in like an offside position, but it's interesting, like the rule and sort of why I don't like or have lost my love for for soccer a little bit, because I used to wake up every, every game for the Champions League, whether it was group stage or the final, like I'd be waking up at 4am listening to all the pre-game and watch watch the game and uh when it's like those cold early hours of the day um but now I don't I haven't watched a full game in soccer in in a really long time so it was like the first time with the Champions League final to watch a full game of soccer and it's things like this with VAR and this sort of stuff where I think they need to improve the game tremendously because oh it's so much of it is interpretation and bad camera angles. I don't like the camera angles that they use. It's always like determining offsides with VAR that are minuscule and doesn't matter. And, you know, no one wants to watch uh, soccer. Um, you know, no one wants to watch soccer when it's like a nil all draw, right? No one wants to give up 90 minutes of their time to see people just pass the ball around in the middle of the field and nothing exciting happened. We want to see you know, a four-all, five-four, four-three type of game where both teams are in it. Um, yeah, we value attacking and shooting more than defense, right? 
And of course, we don't want like blatant, egregious, shocking calls to happen. But I think with VAR being introduced and what this example showed is that there's still a lot of inconsistency and a lot of people yeah, thought that Real Madrid should have had that goal because they shoot it against a Liverpool player. It rebounds off him. And then it's like, oh, did he do it deliberately or not? And just falls to Benzema. And yes, he's in an offside position, but isn't the rule that if it's touched by a Liverpool player and yeah, it comes off him, then the fact that he's offside is negated. So then he can just, you know, it's play on. But then, I don't know, I've, I've seen lots and tried to read lots about it's supposed to be if the Liverpool player intentionally touches, you know, intentionally passes the ball to Benzema. But that rule doesn't make sense because it's like, when would any Liverpool player intentionally pass it to someone in an offside position and allow him to score a goal? Like, that that doesn't make sense because it would never happen. No Liverpool, or no opposing defending player is ever thinking that. I like the way it's just keep it clean and simple that if it comes off the opposing player, whether it's a ricochet or not, it's a bit bad luck, but I don't know. Play on, right? Or just say it, you know, offside is offside, whether it's whether it comes off someone or not. Um, yeah, some more clarity with it. And then just with VAR in general, they're always using like the stupidest camera angle, one where it's like off on a 45 degree angle and they're putting a blue line between one player and a red line between another player and going like, oh, he's clearly... Um, offside because of this but the line is never straight and the camera angle is never down the line um surely we're living in the day and age of technology where it's like let's have cameras on the top let's have multiple cameras on the side like with like a hundred meter race we got guys with um on the segway (laughs) freaking going up and down the olympic track on a little camera um and being right in line with what's happening surely we can get that happening here especially when offside is such a controversial uh, call in the game that yeah no matter what they still can't get right so yeah that's turned me off soccer a little bit um and I don't know it's probably good to, I was I was happy to see that that call didn't cost um Real Madrid the game and another sort of uh controversial decision and like again inconsistency consistency with VAR happened for Liverpool too where uh, Liverpool I think halfway through the game they had a shot in the Real Madrid penalty box and it clearly hits a Real Madrid player's hand. It didn't look like it's intentional, but again, there, there's no consistency with these rules and when and when we, you know, when we do check for VAR and when we don't, what's like the protocol? Because it used to be like, okay, anytime a player calls for it basically or makes a big fuss, they'll stop the game and let's check VAR and see if it was a handball um some then now it's like oh whenever the ref feels like it basically because this one looked it looks unintentional but it clearly touched the player's hand so i'm like oh that looks like a penalty um but they didn't they didn't award it so when in the past as well they've awarded and stopped the game for that so it's like do the rules are they specific rules only for the champions league final like what's going on here (laughs) um yeah VAR too like slows slows the game down and it takes too long. Like a lot of the fans and in a lot of sports too, where 
We just need one or two good replays. Give us more camera angles, employ more television crews and people with cameras so we have more angles. And the average person at home with it, with one replay, 10 to 15 seconds long, we can tell you what the right call was or whether what the referee said was a good call or a bad call. And it should be, if there's any doubt, just leave it with what was called. So, um, yeah, it slows the game too, like too much when we have 10 different replays all in super slow-mo and we don't know what's happened, but they, they still want to overturn the call or, yeah, I don't get it. And that's made me just go, clearly you guys don't care, care enough about making the right call, so why should I care and invest my time and energy into uh, being heartbroken uh, about whatever you decide and the calls that you make. So, yeah, it's sad. That's sad. That's why NFL and NBA have won me over, even though the referees can be terrible at times in that too. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. So, congrats, congrats to Courtois leading Real Madrid to win the Champions League. Massive respect. They're at the top of the mountain again, the team to beat. And um, I think if you would have asked Liverpool like what competition at the start of the year they wanted to win the most, surely it would have been the Champions League, right? They've already um, crossed that hump of getting the Premier League after 20, 30 years, that drought that they had. But the Champions League is the most important trophy for any soccer team playing, right? Because it's the Premier, like the best of the best teams all around Europe. Like because only the top four teams qualify to get in it from the group stage from every league in the world, like the Premier League, French League, Spanish League, German League, only the best of the best teams get in there. It's the best of the best that you're playing against. And that like, it shows that you're the best in the world if you win that trophy. Whereas the Premier League, we all know it's only going to come down to two or three teams at the moment. Like, is Liverpool going to win, Man City or Chelsea? Um, yeah, don't don't at me with Manchester United or Arsenal or Tottenham. Those teams are not winning the league anytime soon. <laughs> um, but with the Champions League, you, you can go, oh, is Real Madrid winning it? Is all those teams in the Premier League winning it? Is Bayern Munich winning it? Is Barcelona winning it? Um, so much more competition and unknown. So it's a shame that Liverpool, they still had a successful season. Like they won two out of the four trophies. But it's sort of the two, um, the worst trophies they could have won, like the the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, and the FA Cup, um, rather than the Champions League and the Premier League. So not only did they lose that lose that guy the bet, but um, they won the worst trophies they could have won. Um, you know, still better than nothing, but uh, a bit of a sour taste left in your mouth after that season, I think. Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Alrighty, let's move to the NBA now and wrapping up like the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. So we had the, the last four teams, like so two on the West and two on the East. And then now we'll have the best of the West versus the best of the East. But let's look at the how each team got there. So Golden State made it through against Dallas Mavericks and they won that series uh, in five games. So they won it four to one. And... That one was an interesting one or intriguing because both, like I said, both teams sort of play a similar style where 
lots of it's a small shooting guards and they all just try to run around and shoot threes um it's not both teams don't really have big size or yeah big players like Giannis or Shaq or you know players that are you know seven foot tall and try to dunk on you it's all let's have little guys run around and be super agile and really good dribbling and then try to get wide open uh three-pointers and two-point shots um so yeah both of them played the same style and it was just which which kids could hit their shots and Golden State consistently could and they they went on the road and, and hit their shots. Um, importantly, in that series too, that just very impressive that Golden State technically is like the smaller of the small teams against Dallas because Dallas is also small, like I was just saying. But um, players like uh, Andrew Wiggins and uh, Draymond Green really like stepped up and Kevon Looney as well, who are their tallest players at like 6'3 to 6'5, 6'6. But really... Again, secured offensive and defensive rebounds, which gives them extra possessions, lots of second chance um, opportunities, second and third chance opportunities to get more baskets, to get more points. And those sort of things really um, swung the tide and swung the game in their favor. So yeah, shout out to the Warriors, made made light work of Dallas. Um, Dallas, it wasn't even that like, Golden State defended super well. Like Golden State did this zone marking tactic in defense, which is called the box and one. And what that is is, you know, you have five players on each team in basketball. So what Golden State on defense is, there's a box sort of thing right under the hoop. It's like in that paint sort of section. So whichever home team it is, like their colors uh, have that in that rectangle right under the hoop. There's a yeah, there's a square or a rectangle. And it's in the colors of whatever team's playing. So if Golden State's at home, it's like yellow or blue. And if Dallas is at home, it's like blue or black sort of thing. Anyway, box and one is that you put a person on your team in each corner of that rectangle or square. So that's four of your players. And it's basically saying, you will not dunk on us. We're not giving you any easy two-pointers. We're not giving you any layups. You're not just going to walk it right to the basket and score. We're going to put four of our dudes there and then we might even put, so box and one, we're putting four players in the box and we put maybe another person in the box too, our fifth, or we have just a free roaming person with our last guy, the box and one, that one person is just, he'll go and be the sort of piggy in the middle, the person that's like the middle person in piggy in the middle trying to run around and go put pressure on whoever has the ball. But those box people do not move unless you come into their area. Like they're not chasing anybody. They're just be chill, stand still. If you come into the paint and try to do anything easy with us or come right to the basket, then we'll start defending you. So Golden State just said, have as many three-pointers as you want. Have wide open shots. Let's see if you can actually hit them because we will. And Dallas couldn't. And so exactly, like what I'm trying to say is it wasn't like a masterclass in defense by Golden State. It was just... Dallas couldn't consistently knock down open three-pointers and Golden State had too much, um, you know, movement on their offense, like always running around and passing it quickly and, yeah, trying to get open for each other, great teamwork. And they created lots of open shots with that and hit them as well. So, yeah, that was uh, impressive to see. Whereas Dallas, this is like their first time to the conference finals 
even you know past the first round of the playoffs in 10 years so no one on this team has been this far before and you know it's going to be tough for them again i think next year a lot of teams were were injured that you would expect to do well um like the clippers like Kawhi leonard has been basically out for a year and a half now so he'll come back strong i think the clippers will come back really well um you know dallas like it's a little bit fluky like they do deserve to get here but um that it will be a lot harder road next year just if every team is healthy i think it took a calamity of a meltdown by the suns um you know not to say that uh dallas didn't deserve to beat phoenix they definitely did and played well in that game you know throughout all of the series but the suns kind of had a meltdown you know chris paul and devin booker and deandre ayton going to a shell of themselves um Whereas, yeah, experience and that sort of thing matters. And that's why Golden State, um, it's still been quite easy for them. They haven't really been tested so far. So good to see them go to the next level. And we'll see how they go against the Celtics. And we can, we can get into that now. So, yeah, like I was just saying, the, the Boston Celtics finally overcame the Miami Heat. I didn't know if it was, if it was going to be possible Man, this series, this Eastern Conference uh, Finals between Miami Heat and Boston Celtics was crazy because I go on so much about the fact of home advantage. You know, playing on your own court, it's like a guaranteed win. You know, the series starts when a team loses at home or, you know, a team's able to win away from home. Um, The series started straight away because, um, yeah, Boston came out and and won the first game and basically the the whole series was like which team's at home Miami or Boston okay the other team's gonna win and then okay next game the other team's at home now like now Miami's back at home okay Boston wins that game you know it was like oh it's two all and then um (laughs) and then Boston won the fifth game and it was like okay Boston's got it in the bag they get to go go home for game six and they'll finish out the series. Boston goes home and Miami comes out and beats them down. And, um, yeah, they win game six and forces game seven. And it's like, oh, no way. Like, now it's back in Miami. Game seven, surely that's huge for them. Like, home crowd in a game seven. They can't lose that. Oh, no, they, they really lost <laughs> They lost that. Um, and the whole series, like, I think, I don't know. Boston played really, really well, like not taking away anything from them, but Miami had a lot of injured players and it sort of showed. As soon as sort of Tyler Hero was out, then they didn't really have a chance anymore. And it was kind of amazing that this, this series did go seven games because that was just on the back of Jimmy Butler um, showing up in the in the playoffs and showing everyone, you know, in the regular season, kind of pacing himself and uh, hiding and, uh, you know, not playing crazy well, like not putting together any like 30, 40 point games, just kind of flying under the radar. And then, but it took everything um, from Jimmy Butler, like their star player on Miami to force um, different wins in this game, like in game two, game, in game six, even game seven, like he had 35 points. So he, you know, can't look at him um, and say, anything more about him like or he lost in the series that sort of thing 
he kept them in it. It's just that he didn't have anyone else in Miami that was ready to step up and help him out, score a few baskets, man. Like Tyler Hero, um, the guy who won best bench player of the year, the sixth man of the year, he got injured, I think, game one. And, yeah, he was their number two scorer. So since then it was like, oh, yeah, this series is kind of over. Miami can defend, but, yeah, with Celtics having a big three that can score in Tatum, Brown, and Smart, that, yeah, it was only a matter of time, I think. Um, Yeah, a lot of people in Game 7, it came down, you know, it it shouldn't have been that close. Like, Boston had a big 10, 15-point lead the whole game in that Game 7, and then Miami slowly reeled it back in. But, um, and then it came down to... You know, there's, there's 20 seconds to go. Miami has the ball. They're down by two. Jimmy Butler is in transition. He's breaking away. And he shoots a three-point shot to go for the win, trying to be the hero. And it just hits the front rim and bounces out. And Miami lose the game. And a lot of people are going like, oh, that's a bad shot. Maybe he should have just gone and tied the game. I don't know. It's It's a decent shot. Like, he was having a really good night. Like, he's in rhythm. It's a it's an easy shot like you do expect him to make. Like I kinda understand like why not just go for the layup and dribble it round the old defender like Al Horford who wasn't set and could easily like fly by him, but then then it's like you go into overtime and the team's already tired and yeah. He missed that three point shot because he was tired and he's had to play every single minute of the last three or four games. Like he's played 48 out of 48 minutes like usually and that never happens like usually all the star players the best players at least come off for five six seven minutes per game they, they're not playing over 42 sort of minutes to keep to keep them like yeah not super tired not exhausted uh, make sure they're fresh and they can hit these big clutch shots when they needed to in the fourth quarter and again when Miami has lots of its players injured he has to play more minutes, get super tired, and you know the you can see him shoot that shot, and he's so tired. But he's like he's got the right line. He just needs that extra oomph to the shot, that extra sort of ten five percent, which he's already burnt playing more minutes than he should. So, man, it was that close for Miami, and it would have been crazy if they won that series. Um, but yeah, Boston. Yeah, like I predicted. So let's go me. No curse for me. (laughs) Make it through. And they're going to play the Warriors. So Boston Celtics from the East. Best team in the East playing the best team in the West, the Golden State Warriors. That game's going to start on Friday in Australian time, I think at 10 a.m. So, yeah, this will be a really, really fun series. Both, like, very evenly matched. And, yeah, very excited for that one. Oh, just before we get into Warriors Celtics, there was like a funny, funny moment between the Golden State Warriors player Draymond Green and the Miami Heat players because, you know, after game five where Miami Heat lost in Miami, they got pumped. I think they like they lost by 20, 30 points. Boston really like curb stomped them. And, you know, they're leading the series now 3-2 Boston are. They're going back for game six, like I said, in Boston where they should win. And then Draymond Green, you know, joins the TV program, joins the, like the podcast. And someone asks him like, 
who do you think the Warriors will play in the finals? Because the Warriors just made it through and they're waiting for either Boston or Miami. And he's trying to play coy at the start, like, oh, you know, we play who we play, we're ready for anyone, blah, blah, blah. And then the other person, the host really pushes back and goes like, come on, like, who do you, like, who are you going to play? Tell us like an answer. And then he goes, like Draymond Green, the Warriors player goes, I can, I'll just tell you who I think we're going to play. Like Boston, you're in the driving position now. Lots of Miami Heat players are injured. We're, we're getting ready for Boston. We think we're, we're going to play them. And then apparently like, uh, lots of the Miami Heat players took offense to that when it's like, it's the right call. You know, any all TV analysts or basketball players or fans, the media, Twitter, everyone was saying Boston are in the driver's seat. They can't lose this from here. It's going to be Boston Warriors. It wasn't like Draymond Green made this outlandish uh, statement saying, oh, my God, like the Heat are trash, like – there's uh there's only one team we're gonna play it's Boston um he did try to like avoid it and show be respectful about it and that sort of thing anyway the the Heat players uh, like PJ Tucker and Udonis <laughs> um, Haslam he they took so much offense to it like made it like billboard material like oh my god we're so angry everyone's counting us out like we just gotta believe in each other. Anyway, that fueled them maybe to win the game number six, and they came out being like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna show you we're like Miami's gonna play the Warriors, and we're gonna beat you in the finals." <laughs> and yeah, I think that Draymond Green was doing a big brain move because he was trying to go, you know, Miami is actually the, the easier team, and they're injured, they're depleted. I bet he would actually want to play Miami. So he's trying to fire them up. And not that he doesn't want to play Boston. Like, I feel like he's ready for Boston and the Warriors are still favorite against Boston. But I'm sure he would rather play a Miami, right? If you're like, why would you want to play, you know, someone at 100% of their strength than at like 50 or 60% a different person? So... Yeah, it's an easier matchup. I bet I bet he was like big brain, like let me try to fire up the Miami Heat players, try and spark them to victory because I feel like that's an easier game for us. So it's a win-win either way. If Boston makes it through, I'm right. I didn't get it wrong and I'm showing respect to Boston and there's no bulletin board material for them. If Miami makes it through, like I've started a fire in their belly, put the fire back behind their eyes and you know, we didn't want to play Boston or we'd rather play Miami than Boston. So that's good for us anyway. (laughs) So, um, I think Miami, Heat got baited into like not seeing what, what he was trying to do. So anyway, very smart move by Draymond Green trying to fire up, fire up Miami to, to win the last couple of games. It worked in game six, but didn't work in game seven. You know, it came close, but they're going to have to play Boston in the finals and beat them. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, big brain move by Draymond. Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears and wrap this NBA up with just a quick preview for what I think the series is going to be like and what I expect and yeah, who I'm thinking of winning between Boston and Warriors in the finals. So, I think it's so, so even. It's probably like a 51-49 for me. And I'm leaning Golden State just because I'm a, I'm a California boy and um, I'm, a, I'm a bandwagoner for Golden State. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that they the championship experience 
you know, Celtics have never been to this stage before, this team. The last time they played in the NBA Finals was in 2010. I think that's the, the year they won it with Kevin Garnett, that famous team, when they had that big three of Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. But it's been a long time since since 2010. That was when I was in uh, year eight of high school, and now I'm uh, finished uni and almost finished uni for a second time with a PhD. So <laughs> it's been a long, a long time since then. Uh, whereas Golden State in that time have won four, five rings and have been to the conference finals or have been to the NBA finals six or seven times in that period. So this is not new for them. They've been here before. They've been under these bright lights and the brighter the lights play, or sorry, the the bigger the, the brighter the lights, the better they play. So they there won't be any anxiety or stress from them, whereas I think Boston it will it will take them a little bit to settle into it. And that's where even though Boston will have home court advantage, like it might be a bit of a disadvantage because those first few games they're expected to win and it might take them a little bit of time to just get used to being in this scene. So I could see Golden State snatching maybe game one or game two and running away from with it from there. You know, all one team needs to do, Boston will have home, but all Golden State will need to do is win one game away and then they can just take care of business at home court. So we'll see. That's one aspect of it. I think, you know, one disadvantage for both teams, like let's start with the Warriors, is that Warriors, like I said before, they haven't really been tested at this point. They've kind of had the easier road to the finals where they beat a depleted Denver Nuggets where it was only, you know, the MVP Jokic on the team. Like usually there's a big three in Denver of, you know, Jokic, Pittman and Jamal Murray, but both, uh, or no, oh no, it's Porter, not Pittman. I'm thinking Michael Pittman Jr. It's Porter, Porter Jr., it's the basketball player from Denver. Anyway, <laughs> getting my NFL and NBA mixed up. Anyway, there's a big three, Jokic, uh, Porter, and Jamal Murray for Denver. But both Porter and Jamal Murray have been injured the last year. So it's really just been you know, Jokic versus the world, and no one expected Denver to win. Golden State won that series easy in five games. Same with Memphis for Golden State too. The next round they played. It was really just Jar Morant. It's like they've played lots of one-man teams, the Warriors, to get here. Jokic with Denver, Jar Morant with Memphis, and who did Golden State just play? Luka Doncic in the maps, right? Just one player, one star player versus the Warriors who have you know, you know, a team, a homegrown team that built themselves, and it's not just Steph Curry versus the world. And you can't be mad at it because they built it themselves. Um, you know, there's no Kevin Durant anymore and here anymore to, uh, pull them over the hump. Like they've done it themselves, but it's Steph versus, uh, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Kevin Looney, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole versus the world. And yeah, that's so much more, um, scary and dangerous for other teams having to beat a whole team rather than just let's shut down your best player and make someone else beat us. So it's the first time for Golden State where they have to shut down multiple people. It's not just Jason Tatum, he's the Celtics versus the Warriors. It's, you know, if Jason Tatum isn't having a good night, we've seen Jalen Brown be able to score 20, 30 quick points. Um, You know, two-pointers and three-pointers, you know, be able to dunk and shoot from long distance. Or, you know, they have Marcus Smart who... 
just as easily can drop 20 as stop his opponent from getting 20. Like that's such a valuable underrated skill to be able to not just get 20 points, but stop your opposing player, the person who's marking you from getting 20 points. Like go and stop Clay Thompson from getting 20, but go and make sure you have 20 as well. That takes such good conditioning, stamina, endurance, uh, takes a lot of effort, but he's proven time and time again, he can do it. So that's just, you know, Boston has a big three themselves. Even though Golden State have a big three, it's the first time Golden State will have to really play a team and not just shut down one person and, yeah, hope the bench of the other team doesn't beat them, which they've been able to do. I think Golden State should be able to do it, but again, it might take them a couple of games to work out their tactics properly and to do something not new, but just they haven't been doing so far in the playoffs. And then on the other side with Boston Celtics is it's sort of different for them too. Like the weakness is they haven't played anyone like Golden State so far. Like they've had the harder road to the finals and it's massive respect because they're on a big revenge tour. Like Boston is no, you know, like I said before, it's been a long time since they've been to the finals, finals, like the grand final, but they're usually in the playoffs every year. But they've been one of those teams that sort of chokes it away a little bit, like go out, um, you know, bow out too early in the playoffs every year. Like they should be making it further. So I think three years ago they got beat by Milwaukee. Two years ago they got beat by Brooklyn. And last year, no, the other way around. Three years ago they got beat by the Heat. Two years ago they got beat by Brooklyn. Last year they got beat by Milwaukee. And then this year, they've beaten all those teams. So they've like uh, added their scalp to the backpack and been like the Grim Reaper knocking on the door, um, taking down all the evil exes for them. Um, so yeah, they beat Brooklyn in the start, then they beat Milwaukee in the second round, and they just beat Miami Heat. So awesome for them. But all of those teams play very differently to Golden State. They only just have one big player, right? So Brooklyn with Kevin Durant, um, you know, I know Kyrie Irving is on Brooklyn too, but he wasn't really there, didn't really play super well. Um, so it was really like, again, they just shut down Kevin Durant with the Bucks. There was only Giannis there. Um, they all play a similar style, even Heat. It was only Jimmy Butler. So they're just having to like, when they defend, only worry about one person who's scoring like for golden state they've got more than one dude it's not just steph curry like i said it's you know if you stop steph you got to stop clay thompson if you stop clay thompson you got to stop jordan Poole. If you stop jordan Poole, you got to stop andrew wiggins kevon looney draymond green they're just so multifaceted and lots of people can score you know everybody on their team can score in double digits they don't just have one Luka Doncic or one Jimmy Butler or one Giannis who's just going to get 40 points and it's like okay we can deal with one person getting 40 someone else go and get 20 or 30 points we can stop that other person from from happening but it's a lot tougher when lots of people can drop 30 or 40 and everyone can drop 10 or 20 so it's going to be really exciting to see. I think it comes down to, again, it's a bit bait or cheesy to say it, but Golden State's been here. They know what's expected. I think the Celtics have a great team. They just, I think it'll take them a, a few games too many to settle into it and to work out how to actually 
defend Golden State and yeah, they just haven't done it before. So let's see. I think I think it will go seven games though. I think this will be such an exciting series and yeah, man, just a coin flip. I'm just leaning toward Golden State, but um even though I'd be sad if Boston won, I think uh, it would be really cool because it's it's such a young team and a great come up story and like I said before, like a very cool revenge tour of like all the teams that have beaten them in the past. So to finally, you know, win the finals and to beat all those teams is, is a really cool story. Just one or two more things with this finals preview that I'm really excited or could be key sort of defining moments in who wins this matchup is that for Golden State, their biggest weakness or what's going to stop them from winning the championship through these uh, seven games uh, is that you know they need to limit the amount of turnovers they have, especially unforced turnovers. Like the way they play offense, like how much movement and spacing and passing the ball quickly and doing lots of tricky passes is awesome and that gives them success and helps them play well. But in the same breath, sometimes they're trying to do too much on offense and do a you know wayward pass out of bounds or try to be too, too tricky or the defender anticipates it or you know that Steph Curry does a you know too crazy of a shot or Jordan Poole tries to copy uh, copy Steph Curry too much um, or they're taking like out of rhythm shots that they yeah forcing turnovers too much especially unforced turnovers where they're just um, yeah trying to be too tricky or too silly or not taking care of the basketball enough, not taking it seriously, that's going to get them in trouble. And then the Boston Celtics being really tall. You know, Robert Williams, he should uh, make a massive impact getting lots of rebounds. Al Horford as well. Um, The more Boston Celtics can use the advantage of being taller than Boston State and out-rebounding them, limiting their second-chance points, um... Yeah, that would be huge for the Celtics. So it's really, yeah, can Golden State, you know, keep it calm, keep it cool heads and not turn over the ball too much um, and secure some rebounds? Or do the Celtics take advantage of Golden State being a bit shorter and work out a way to, you know, keep up with everybody um, running around? Okay, moving along and moving to everybody's favorite segment now. It's it's the hockey. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, everybody. What's been happening? Let's let's see what's been happening. Um so what's happened? Has has Pav's team made it through or do they go out? Or Tom's team, the the Rangers and the Flames, how they've been going? Um let's start off with with Pav. So she remember out in the west, she was going for the number 1 team, the Colorado Avalanche. And they've done her proud. They took care of the St. Louis Blues in the West and made light work of it. So they're into the Western Conference Finals now of the Stanley Cup. And on the other side, who they'll play was either going to be my team, the Calgary Flames, or the higher seed, the Edmonton Oilers. And, what? yeah, where is Edmonton anyway? (laughs) Who knows? But... Oh, I should find out because they beat my flames. My flames flamed out, everybody. <laughs> they went down to the Edmonton Oilers. I think that's in Canada. Yeah, 
We'll see if I'm wrong. Let me just quickly look that up. But yeah, my Flames didn't play well, and the Edmonton uh, Oilers beat them in five games, six games? Yeah, six games. And actually, so Edmonton, I'm just looking at it now, it's like northwest-ish in Canada. And Calgary Flames is a Canadian team too. That's like a grudge match. It's actually not too far away. It's like the equivalent of like if maybe like Newcastle versus Sydney FC or something like that, that type of distance. So yeah, okay, cool. Anyway, well, not cool that the Flames lost, but... So, Parv's team, the Avalanche in the West, is going to verse uh, Edmonton Oilers to see who can make it to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And on the other side, Parv's team, the uh, Maple Leafs, were knocked out already by Tampa Bay Lightning. And then Tampa Bay Lightning have gone through to the East Coast Finals. And then they're going to play my Rangers because my Rangers made a crazy comeback against Carolina Hurricane. Oh, my gosh. So... Hurricanes were up three to two in the seven game series. They out of five games, they'd won three already and just needed one more win. But my New York Rangers just said, no way, not without a fight. And in game six, they took it to overtime and won the game. And then in game seven, came out and just pumped them. So let's go. I've still got a team in the playoffs and this is nice. This works out because who knows, maybe my Rangers will beat Tampa Bay Lightning unlikely but um and maybe Pav's avalanche will get to the final and it'll be uh, tom's rangers versus Pav's avalanche oh <laughs> what's gonna happen so hopefully we get that that's a dream matchup let's go <laughs> okay we're gonna we're gonna shift gears to two questions uh from my instagram at tom patterson uh 97 um yeah, they've direct messaged me on there. Uh, I'll read out your questions or suggestions on the show, whatever you want to talk about. We've got two people who have messaged me here today, so I'll, I'll move to those now. I was thinking about doing some more around the NFL, a couple of things that have been on my mind that we can talk about, but I think I might leave that till after the NBA Finals finish up so we can just keep it keep it clean uh, and move into the NFL as that as the season sort of comes to a, a close with the NBA. Anyway, we can get to the first question now. Uh, so the first question is from Luke, and he asks, Tom, what's more impressive, Jimmy Butler's season this year with the Miami Heat or the bubble year with Miami Heat where he was able to take them to the, the actual NBA finals? What's more impressive? Oh, okay. Um, I feel like... The oh, it's you can make arguments either way because I was going to say the taking them one step further to the finals, but I think it's hard to count that bubble championship or that bubble playoff series in 2020 when the whole world was shut down from COVID. So what the NBA did was uh, they asked their friend Mickey Mouse down in Orlando, Florida, <laughs> to say, you know, you got any room in the inn? You got any basketball courts down there in Disneyland, Florida? And Mickey Mouse is like, yep, come on down. We've got a basketball court or two. So all the teams went into this bubble, sealed it off. All the teams went in that were playoff teams, brought in their trainers, their chefs, all that sort of stuff, and played the playoffs from, uh, yeah, in the Mickey Mouse clubhouse. 
And um, yeah, Miami, it was came down to Miami versus the Lakers in the end. And we know that, yeah, Jimmy Butler tried his best and uh, put up like 40, 50 point games, but it just wasn't enough. And there's that famous meme of Jimmy Butler absolutely exhausted where he's got both his arms on the sort of fence after game six, which is like the losing game, I think. And you could just tell he's got no energy left. He tried his best. Yeah, he did well in that series, but it's hard to take that one serious. So what I'm saying is like with the whole Mickey Mouse clubhouse thing and there's there's no fans, there's no home court advantage. It's like just playing pickup basketball. So it's a lot of factors were taken out of that championship and that playoff series and it's 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 like that championship is kind of worth a little bit less so that run was really impressive but I think this time this season with with Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler it's been very impressive to me because it's shown okay he's not just like a one-hit wonder like he's able to show us some consistency and bring Miami back again and looking at this playoff run you, you can't really fault him it's like what more could he have done um, so I think they're both impressive. The bubble was impressive because he took them almost all the way and so close to the championship, but it's, there was lots of factors that made that a little bit less impressive. Um, you know, Mickey Mouse was on his side. Uh, <laughs> um, but this year, like all the, all those factors have returned. Every team's on the same sort of playing field. Um, and now... Yeah, he's shown that he's able to do it multiple times. It does show to me, though, that maybe Jimmy Butler, like a Devin Booker, is an extraordinary player, but like a number two guy. Like, he 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 can't win you a championship like LeBron can, like, who else, Kawhi Leonard, those type of guys. It's just like, I don't even need a team around me. I can just will my team to a championship, just me alone. And it's less common these days, but and similar to Giannis last year, right? Um, just totally put the team on his back. So, yeah, it, in my mind, it's it's impressive, but it shows to me, oh, Miami needs to do some moves. It's like we need to get Jimmy some help because right now, and I know they had injuries, but I don't know. Every t- injuries happen, and every team is not one hundred percent right now. So, it shows to me they need to get Jimmy more help. Or Jimmy needs to go to a team where he doesn't have to be the number one guy. So I think that's fascinating for me. Alrighty, and my final question comes from Peter. And he says, did you hear Colin Kaepernick? He got a tryout with the Raiders. What do you make of it, Tom? Well, yeah, wow. I'm just as excited as you, Peter. Um, if you don't know Colin Kaepernick is a very famous uh, like African-American, or used to be quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, took them to a Super Bowl in 2015 uh, or 2014 against the Ravens. Very close game. They end up losing that game. Um, and then the following season in 2016, you know, came out, is playing well. And there's the whole sort of thing about, um, you know, standing or kneeling for the national anthem he sort of started that movement of you know there's a first game of the season he comes out everyone else is you know arm in arm while the national anthem's happening singing along um and Colin Kaepernick you know takes off his helmet and 
very famous photo of him kneeling and with his arm, with his fist across his chest. Um, and he was sort of standing up for the whole Black Lives Matter movement, which, yeah, is so important and needs a lot of attention to it, especially at, at that time where it was just sort of starting and was getting a lot of, a lot of hate. And that, his protest, his choice to kneel cost him his job. Like President Trump uh, saw that and he's very good friends with the NFL CEO, the commissioner, Roger Goodell. And so at the time, Trump was like, and Goodell sort of partnered together and conspired to say, you know, we don't want politics in our game. And it got misinterpreted the reason why he was kneeling. It was like lots of, you know, conservative or right wing, you know, people interpreted it as like, oh, you know, he's disrespecting the flag. He's dif- disrespecting, you know, the troops and people died for us to sing this national anthem and we take pride in our country. You don't respect America and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that at all, even though part of it, and it would be totally rational to go, you know, I can't sing the national anthem when all this chaos and turmoil is happening and I don't feel in a, that, that our country is going in the right direction um, not that I'm speaking for Colin Kaepernick, but I, I, I think that's part of it, but it was more so about, you know, black people, African-American people are not treated equally and too many injustices have happened in that country without, yeah, without a wake up call, without any, uh, response and, you know, enough is enough. I want people talking about it. I want to take a stand. Um, I'm not okay with this. I'm not just, just going to, you know, stand up and pretend like everything's normal and, you know, protect, pretend like Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you know, countless other names and scenarios, like that doesn't mean anything. Um, so, yeah, that cost him his job because, like I was saying, the CEO and Donald Trump uh, of the CEO, the commissioner, Roger Goodell of the NFL, um, you know, heard Trump's comments about we can't have this in the game and worked with him to sort of blacklist him and to get him fired um, from his job as a quarterback in the NFL and made sure that every NFL owner who was like old white dudes <laughs> uh, controlling all of the signing and buying of players and controls who's on the roster that, you know, Colin Kaepernick has a big red cross through his name that no one can sign him. We're not about bringing politics in the game and, you know, disrespecting the troops or disrespecting America is not allowed and, yeah, promoting Black Lives Matter is not what we want to see. So, yeah, that's been the case for several years now, and no team has given him an opportunity. But then finally, we're moving towards, you know, it's just a massive celebration, and I love to see it in my eyes because it's such a shame because we, such a great talent, and he'd been through a lot, and it takes such courage and bravery to make that stance, right? To put your your job your career, your earnings, your security on the line for a bigger cause, something that's bigger than you. And it cost him so much, but yeah, it's so great to see a team uh, give him an opportunity now. And I love that it was the Las Vegas Raiders, that a team that's been through so much turmoil and a team who just last season sacked their former head coach, John Gruden, over Um, you know, racist allegations and racist emails and in the past has been a very, 
I don't know, like a team with lots of turmoil, like I said, that it's like a nice step in the right direction to show and to give uh, Colin a chance and say, why not? And even if he doesn't end up making the team, it's a, it's a great, um, you know, sh- uh, sign of respect and, and just giving someone equal opportunity and allowing him to prove himself. And because we've, we've had all this talk in the last few years by Colin and his team that he's still in shape and he's trying to work out every day and practice his throwing, practice working with receivers and, um, you know, not, not totally giving up his dream of playing football again. So yeah, I'm just so, I'm so happy that he got the opportunity and I hope, I don't know. I'm just happy he got the opportunity. Nothing else needs to, I'd love for him to sign for a team to sign him and just as a backup and keep giving an opportunity. I think both from sort of like a, an ethic and ethical, moral, social sort of stance. That's like a really cool, I don't know, like initiative or way of, I don't know, like a bit of like retribution for Colin Kaepernick and sort of like a redemption and forgiveness by the league to give him a chance. Um, not that he doesn't have to earn it. Like obviously that too, but I think it would be just really smart in terms of a business idea. Not, not that you want to exploit it, but if you signed him to your team, he is such a big name, big icon that like you could send the email out to all your season ticket holders, all your members and being like, come see Colin Kaepernick, get his second chance, get his, uh, you know, revenge tour, redemption season. And if you're struggling to fill the seats, um, they will be full if you sign Colin Kaepernick. Everyone wants to see him do well and everyone's rooting for him. So I love that he's finally getting a shot. Um, We'll see what he does with it. Apparently he showed like really good conditioning and endurance. Like he's kept his body in a really good shape, which is crazy because to maintain that elite level athlete, uh, like body composition and what's required to play on that level, if you're not playing for five, six years, man, the determination that shows and the perseverance and mental fortitude, my days. Um, and apparently his arm strength is still good. Like he, he knelt in the prime of his powers. You know, he was only 28, 29 and then the last five or six years. So that, that would make him like 35, 34 now. Um, such a shame, but I don't know. Very cool that he's kept up and kept his strength um, up in that throwing arm and he can still throw the ball, you know, not just 10, 20 meters, but make 30, 40, 50 meter throws with accuracy as well, with touch. Um, man, I'm excited to... I'd love for a team to sign him and I'd love to see in the preseason how he goes and just, yeah, how how well he has kept in shape and just like, just so proud of him for, I don't know, standing up for what he believes in, for what's right and, and you know, being on the right side of history and he, yeah, what an icon, what an inspiration. Takes so much courage to do, to do that, to give, like, to give up your job, to give up, yeah, everything that's secure in your life or everything that's comfortable um, to take a stance that, you know, we need we need change, we need to do better um, and to be punished for that. Yeah, that's rough. Alrighty, we're going to leave it there. 
Um, keep sending in your questions and suggestions at Tom Patterson 97 on Instagram or send me a direct message. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for all the support. I should have mentioned at the start of the show, but we got, uh, 60 followers now just cracked the 50 mark last week and we're up to 60 followers of the show now if you haven't yet leave me a review um of how of what you like about the show what you don't like that's fine don't have to rate it five stars you can be honest but yeah leave me a review on spotify or wherever you're listening um also what's crazy is that you know i would of course, we've got listeners in Australia, but we've got listeners in the US, we've got listeners in Canada, we've got listeners in Singapore, we've got listeners in New Zealand, we've even got listeners in Belgium. If you're in Belgium right now listening to this, thank you so much. What the heck? <laughs> um, send, me a, send me a message um, for whereabouts in Belgium or you know outside of Australia. That's so cool to me that people just around the world are listening to this, so... Man, uh, that makes me so proud and it's such a crazy feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, I appreciate you all. Um, <laughs> whatever time it is for you, wherever you are right now, hope you, you still have a great day. Have a great rest of your day. We'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. Oh, uh, one last thing is that uh, on Sunday, got a, well, stay tuned for the next episode. Got a, my first special guest, going to join Tom's Takes be a bit of a different podcast who knows what it'll be like with someone else on the show um can prove that i can have a, a back and forth dialogue with someone else um yeah really excited uh i think the show is going to be we're gonna, definitely going to do a segment on ufc and i think the boxing sort of uh world of sports so yeah keen for that i know a little bit about that sort of stuff but always happy to or excited to learn some more and maybe not to be the expert at this sort of thing. And uh, yeah, happy to see how it goes, see how it feels. Um, so stay tuned for that one on Sunday. Um, yeah, apart from that, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll leave you to it. Bye. Bye.